Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. Remember what we're talking about. We're in the series called Zeal. Uh, this is the final, final message. Hopefully you've gained from it. Zeal, the definition. Great energy, enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. I've made several challenges to you during this message on what you had zeal for, what we as a church have zeal for. And this morning, we're going to take it a little bit further. Um, But just remember, as we talk today, as we close this out, to have great energy, enthusiasm, and passion in pursuit of a goal or an objective. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence in this church. We know it's just a building. We know this is just brick. But Lord, we thank you for coming and dwelling with us this morning. You're the most important part of this. You are what we pursue. You are what we're zealous for. Lord, as I pray as as we finish this out this morning that we would hear from you, we would hear your voice, we would hear your heart. It would not be me, it would not be my words or my voice, but we hear from you, we hear from your spirit. We thank you, we love you. In Jesus' name, can someone praise God this morning? Come on, just lift a shout this morning, just praise him. Thank you guys, appreciate it. Uh, let's see. We're going to read a lot, if that's okay. Y'all ready? We're going to read out of the book of Revelation. And we're going to read chapters, chapters 2 and chapters 3. Chapters 2 and 3. It's going to be a little bit, so I want you to follow along with me. Um, when I was preparing for this particular message, I just kept circling back to the book of Revelation. I don't know why. It was just something that was just there, which was not the original intent. I was going to talk about John 15, which we will talk about today as well, but I just really felt like this tied into what we're trying to convey from this message, and when I started reading it, it really kind of just sunk in. So I'm going to throw a lot at you in the first five minutes here, okay? So just brace yourself. Here we go. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. It says, write this letter to the angels of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. 
but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds for the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must let the spirit understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give the fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. In verse 8. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who is dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when you're facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Verse 12. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in this city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you in, in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit of understand what he's saying to the churches, to everyone who is victorious. I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone, and to the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Verse 18. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all things. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and eat foods offered to idols. Give her time to repent, but she, if she does not want to return away from her immorality, therefore I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer great unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. There, they, then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. Deeper truths, as they call them, depths of Satan, actually. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my Father, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. 
chapter 3. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do, that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as an unexpected thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit to understand what he is saying to the churches. Verse 7. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you have obeyed my command to preserve. I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens in the city of my God. The new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise to you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be ashamed from your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see i correct and discipline everyone i love so be diligent and turn from your indifference look i stand at the door and knock if you hear my voice and open the door i will come in and we will share a meal together as friends those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as i was victorious and sat with my father on his throne Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. I probably read this like six times. And I was like, this is too much. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to be able to articulate all that's here. So I'm going to do my best. Please bear with me this morning. 
just a quick back, back information. Each one of these churches were literal places. These were literal, literal churches that were alive and well during the time that John wrote the book of Revelation. Anybody know or remember John? He was what the Bible called the disciple that Jesus loved. He was the closest one to Christ. He was the one that was there by his side even to the end. He was there all the way at the cross. He was the only one there at the cross, by the way. And he was the one that Jesus said, hey, can you watch over my mother? He basically gave his own mother over to John. That's how much he loved John. John was his favorite. He was his, you know, closest confidant. Jesus had hundreds of followers 12 disciples, three of his inner circle, and one friend, and that was John. So John is very important, and John was somebody who just walked in so much grace and favor that when they tried to kill him, all the other disciples had already been martyred or, or tried to be martyred. When, when it was time to try and kill John, they could not kill the guy. They even tried to throw him in a boiling pot of oil so that he would just melt and disintegrate, and his body bounced off the oil and hit the ground. He, they could not kill the guy. They were afraid of him, so they banished him to a place called Patmos. It was an island far off the coast, and they just stuck him in a house there, and they put some guards, and he was just there, and then he began to write the book of Revelation because he kept having encounters with God. So this book, what we're reading, is a result of someone who spent time with the Lord in the most intimate way, who knew his heart in the most deepest way, who was attempted to be killed because of his faith, who survived and is now living a life in exile all alone, doing nothing but seeking God on house arrest on an island. That's John. So when God began to speak to John and he began to pen the book of Revelation, he began to talk to him about literal places that were churches in his day and age that were alive. There were seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. We just read every message that was written to those churches. These churches were being instructed because of their current state. So what we read was an actual message written to these actual churches about their current state, what was going on in their life at that moment. But now, for us, they are a representation. They are a representation of what kind of spiritual state we can be in as believers and as a church body. So not only was it a literal thing, but now for us, it's a representational thing. It, it shows us, hey, this is the kind of lifestyle you could be living in. Which category do you fall in? Which church would you say you are in? Which state of mind, spiritual state, would you say you are actually living? Are you like the one at Ephesus? Are you like the one at Philadelphia? Some of these were good. Some of them he had no complaints for, but almost all of them he had a complaint against. Even though there were some things they were doing right, something was off with their heart. 
right? Even though they were doing the works of certain things and everything looked like they were doing what they were supposed to do, in the heart they were drifted, right? And so this was very important. I'm going to just recap each church. Church of Ephesus, he said, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Kind of a big deal. What was the greatest commandment? Love the Lord God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And he's basically saying, you, you're not following the greatest commandment. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You know, people make a big deal of like, if you preach too much on love, like, I, I don't think you get love then. If you say we preach too much on it, because love is who God is. Love is his nature. Love is his, the deepest attribute. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Love is what spurs everything. Love is what carries everything. Without love, we don't know him. And so when he says, you didn't love me or others as you did at first, that's a huge problem. When you've fallen out of love with God himself, and you've fallen out of love with your neighbor, you're missing the point of life. People say, what's the point of life? Love God is with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the point. Because love is the cure. Is Carol here this morning? No, she's not here. We were having a conversation about Carol. She's amazing. She lives on the street. She lives on the street. She was addicted to drugs for a very long time. We were talking about the first time we ever met Carol. And um, she had a rough exterior. I mean, just yelling at you, cussing at you, mean to you. We just kept loving her. And I would even have conversations with other pastors who said, yeah, she tried to stab me. <laughs> like, she ain't part of our church. She tried to stab me. I'm like, oh, really? But now you see Carol. She'll shout me down every Sunday. She's more vocal than half of y'all. I'm just saying. She has love in her life now love broke through those walls love brought her in and love is what is keeping her where she lives doesn't matter she has the love of god in her life and that is powerful love is so important if we don't capture it if we don't remind ourselves that how we treat other people is a direct reflection of how we're treating god then we've missed the whole point of this. We have to demonstrate love. That was the issue with Ephesus, with, with Smyrna. Smyrna. The devil, he said, the devil will throw some of you into prison to test you and you will suffer for 10 days. How would you like that message? He had no complaints with Smyrna. He just told them, hey, get ready. You're about to go through it. You're about to go through it. I don't know. I'd rather be the church that's about to suffer persecution than the church that has complaints against them. I'm just saying. I'd rather deal with some pain than knowing that I'm off path. Right? Because to me, it's way harder to, to reconcile the fact that I'm drifted than it is to just go through some pain. I'd rather be Smyrna than Ephesus. Because if you don't have love, you have nothing. And then you have Pergamum. You tolerate some among you whose teaching 
is like that of Balaam. This one is interesting. You kind of need to know who Balaam is. Balaam is a guy from the Old Testament who was a prophet. He was kind of one of those guys that had this calling and gifting and anointing, but didn't really want it. And so he was a prophet, but he didn't like the fact that he was one of Israel's prophets. He learned that if he told enough prophecies in favor of certain kings, he could get paid well for it. Just breaking it down for you. Balaam was one of the first guys that you see in scripture misusing his gift for profit, for gain, to make money. So he would prophesy good things about victories for these kings. And then a real prophet would come and say, that's not the word of the Lord. And Balaam got exposed for prophesying for profit. And here we are in the book of Revelation, and he's telling the church at Pergamum, you're just like him. It's all about the money. It's all about what you can profit. It's all about how much you can grab. And that's a dangerous place to be. I hope you don't fall into that category. What about Thyatira? This one's pretty bad. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin. This right now is what we're dealing with in America. This is what we're dealing with. If you've ever wondered what is going on, this is what's going on. Right here. What is going on? Why is there so much of this agenda? I was just reading it this morning. There's a swimmer at Penn State who's a man who says he's a woman. So he's swimming with the women's team. And all the girls are like, this is weird. You know why? Because we have promoted and voted in and put people in place who have Jezebel running their minds. Jezebel's not a person. It's a mindset. It's a spirit. It is a stronghold in the spiritual realm. And Thyatira was letting Jezebel teach their people. In other words, that mindset, that thinking, that way of life was running the show. And that's exactly what we're dealing with. And unfortunately, there's a lot of churches allowing that same mentality into their churches. They're not standing up for the truth. They're not calling sin, sin. And therefore, she does what she wants. Then you have Sardis. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive. But you are dead. Oof, that's rough. Because what it is, what he's saying is it's all a front. Everything looks good. But in the inside, you're dead. You're not, it's not real. It's not authentic. It's not genuine. He was looking for an authentic and genuine church. Then you have my favorite. This is a good one. Philadelphia. Because you have obeyed my commands to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I don't know about you, but I want that one. Like, yes, please. No complaints. You're not going through suffering. I'm going to protect you. Because you did everything I said to do. 
I want to be that guy. You know, growing up, I was not so obedient. In fact, I see my son, Joel, and I'm like, dude, that was, he's just like me. <laughs> I'm like, dang it. Everything he does, I'm like, stop it. And I'm like, I'm hearing my mom and my dad in my head as I say stuff. I'm like, jeez, man. You just, you know, you ever done that where you like correct your kids and you, you sound just like your parents? Oh, every day. Yeah, every day. Every day. Uh, five times a day. I'm like, is my dad right there? Like, what? Where'd that come from? Where'd that noise come from? I didn't know my voice could do that. Sit down! Be quiet! Stop it! You know, I don't know. And then I, you know, I think I just need to go get a belt with my name on it like my mom had and put it on the mantle right there. She would just have it on display. Olga. On the, on the, hi mom. Uh, it, it was a big leather belt. And it said, Olga. <laughs> it was like, man, if you messed up, you knew it was going to happen. Her name will be backwards on your rear end. It's just how it was before you knew it. I remember one time my sister got in trouble. And I love my sister. And I knew she was going to get it. So I went and grabbed the belt and I hit it. And then my mom was running through the house. Where's my belt? Who took my belt? What did y'all do? And then she gets even more mad because it's like, where's my belt? Y'all been hiding it, haven't you? And I, <laughs> I never said it was me. But uh, they ended up finding it. And then, yeah, she ended up getting it bad. You know what I mean? That's my son. That's my son. <laughs> I wasn't obedient. But as I've gotten older, I've learned that obedience is the key. Obedience is the key. Man, if you can learn to just say yes to God, it'll change you completely. Quit trying to fight it. Quit trying to do your own thing. Quit trying to do it your way. Do it God's way. You think you're smarter? You're not smarter. You're just not. Be obedient to the word of God. If you struggle with what the Bible says, that's your opportunity to take it to God. Man, if you're struggling with this idea of, of giving, like, man, that is a total obedience of the heart thing. That is not, you know, me trying to get more money from you like Balaam. No, no, no. That's an obedience of the heart thing. If you struggle with your consistency in prayer, it's an obedience thing. When he says to do something and you do the opposite, that's an obedience thing. It's so important that you understand obedience. I would much rather be Philadelphia. No problems, no pressure, just obey. I would much rather have that. Then you have Laodicea, which on all accounts is probably the worst. Because it's neither hot nor cold. There's no false teacher in the mix. There's no Jezebel. There's no disobedience. It's just indifference. We don't stand for anything. We're not excited about anything. We're not doing much of anything. He says, you say I, you are rich and you have everything you want and you don't need anything, but you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This is the church that is indifferent because they have everything they need or the person who has all the money they need or has everything they could want and they just kind of look at God as, you know, thank you kind of thing. No relationship, no conversation, no zeal. 
no passion, no enthusiasm, no pursuit. Just, yeah, you know, God is my homeboy. Not really. Because <laughs> homeboys lay down their life for each other. You know, Jesus is kind of like, yeah, you know, we're Americans. Of course I'm a Christian. That is Laodicea. Not hot, not cold, just lukewarm, right in the middle. Indifference is one of the worst places to be. When it doesn't matter to you, if your relationship with God is important, man, that is dangerous. When, When it doesn't matter to you, whether or not your kids are serving God, oof, very, very very dangerous. So I have this question. Which of these churches identify your current spiritual state today? Which one? Where are you? In your own mind, filter that out. Where are you? I pray none of us are dealing with indifference. Because we can correct some other stuff, but it's hard to deal with indifference. It's hard to change that mindset. These descriptions that we just read clarify which category of zeal we currently live in. If you are truly zealous for God, then why... Do you need to spend so much time learning other things that are so temporary and argue about something so temporary that means nothing in the grand scheme of things so that we can be right about something so temporary? People, and I used to be one of them, just throwing myself in there, people will spend Days, hours researching things so they can be right about X, Y, or Z. I wish we would spend that much time and that much energy and that much passion and that much zeal researching this. It is so easy to fall into the category of someone who is in Smyrna, Ephesus, Thyatira, Sardis. It is so easy to get lost in our pursuit of stuff, in our pursuit of what's next, that we forget what we're supposed to be pursuing the whole time. Our zeal should be channeled to seek after our first love and to be obedient and willing to endure whatever comes. When I got saved, I quickly realized that part of a Christian lifestyle was sacrifice. I quickly realized that in order to truly follow Christ, it was going to challenge every dream, every hope, every desire I had. I learned 
as I began to walk with Christ, that everything that is mine is really his. And everything that I am is really him. And whatever he allows in my life, I have to take. And whatever he takes from my life, I have to give. In other words, I learned from, from early on in my Christian walk that if it didn't come from him, I don't want it. And I have been in the situations where I was trying to force this or that to happen. And I realized when God's blessing wasn't on it, that it was me doing it. And I realized obedience is the key. Obedience to follow after his will is the key. And when I realized this, I began to pray your will, not mine. See, Jesus demonstrated this. He said, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. And I began to pray that too. And the more I prayed it, the more I realized that all my plans are inferior to his plans. And all my goals are just inferior to his goals for me. And all my thoughts and all my dreams are really subpar to where he wants to take me. I realized that if I remained zealous for him, if I remained passionate for him, he would literally give me whatever I wanted. Because what I wanted first was him. You see, I feel like we forget that as Christians, our life is a little backwards from the world. In order to go high, you really have to go low. The greatest in the kingdom is the least of these, Jesus said. In order to really be a leader, you have to learn how to serve. Like, it's, it's all backwards. In the world, they tell you, climb as high as you can go, step on everybody on your way up, whatever it takes, right? And it's just the opposite how God works. How do you receive? You give. That's what the Bible says. How do you grow? You pour out. You cut away. And we're about to read that in a second. I realized that if I was zealous for God, if I truly put him first, everything else comes in. Everything else is blessed. And he said it, Matthew 10, 33, those who seek first the kingdom of heaven, then all of these things will be added. There are things in your life that you want and you will get, but you'll get it without him and then you realize it's not what you want. Do you follow that? There are things in your life that you want and then you'll get, but if you get it without him, it's not what you wanted because what you really wanted the whole time is you wanted to do it with him. You just didn't realize it. Your spirit wants to do it with him. Your spirit wants God with you all the time. Your spirit craves the presence of God in your life at all times, accomplishing goals and dreams. It is so empty to accomplish goals and dreams without the presence of God. I've been there. When you do it on your own strength, you realize 
That really wasn't the point. It was that you get to do it with God. You get to do it with his presence. You get to do it with passion for him. You get to do it because he's with you. You get to do it because he blessed it. I hope that's making sense this morning. Let's read John 15. Guys, y'all can come back up. John 15. This is a powerful, powerful chapter. It says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Did you catch that? He cuts away stuff that's not bearing fruit so that it can produce. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me. Someone say remain in me. And I will remain in you. Man, right there, those words, if you just just played them over and over in your mind, eventually you'll get it. It took me a while. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. It is really difficult. It is truly difficult to follow God when you don't stay in his presence. How else would you be able to follow something you're not near? Took a little while to get that for me. I was a C student in school all through college. Took me a little while. How do you follow something you're not near? Remain in me and I will remain in you. Stay in his presence. How do you do that? It's a fight every single second. Because everything this world throws at you is designed to distract you. It's designed to pull you away. It's designed to take your mind off the cares of everything you got going on. And in essence, it's designed to make sure you're not thinking about anything else. And it's a struggle. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. How do we become fruitful? Remain. Verse 5, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I wish I had another hour. (laughs) You can't do anything on your own. Even when you've done it on your own, you really didn't do it. I had to chew on this and chew on this and chew on this. I am the vine. You are the branches. Without him, we're dead. Without him, we have no life. Without him, there is no purpose. There is no point. There is no future. There is no fruit. Without him, we have nothing. Without him, 
whatever we do, we really haven't done. Hopefully that gets to you at some point today. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. I told you earlier, once you realize that you get to do it with him and your obedience to him, he'll give you whatever you want. The problem is when you want that more than him, you don't get anything. You get nothing. I hope this hits you. I hope it gets deep within you. I'm telling you, it took me a little while. So I don't expect it to all soak in right now. But I challenge you to go back and read John 15 again and again and again. Verse 7, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. How do we know? You are true disciples by the fruit that you bear. See, this was the problem with the churches in the book of Revelation. The, re- the, the, the fruit that they bore, some of it was good, some of it was bad. A couple churches were great. And this is the question you got to ask yourself. What kind of fruit is in my life? What kind of fruit am I bearing? What kind of fruit? What, what is coming out? of what I do. What is coming out of my lifestyle? What is the end result? What is the byproduct? What is the result of my life? Verse 9. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Someone say remain. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love again back to obedience obedience is the key just as i obey my father's commandments and remain in his love i have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy yes your joy will overflow man if you're depressed if you're down if you if things are heavy on you get back to the simple task of obedience because when you're obedient to God's will you can't help but be joyful because it's not about you anymore see the problem and the struggle with depression is we're so focused on our own thing we're so focused on us that we forget that if we learn to abide if we learn to remain if we learn to obey We receive joy as the fruit. He said, you will have my joy. That is the promise. And then your joy will overflow. What does that mean? It means when I get the joy, now my brother over here gets joy. Because all I have inside of me is the ability to remain in him and him and I. It will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. How did Jesus... Love people. (laughs) He gave it all. 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 He sacrificed and served. (sighs) 
and loved unconditionally. Love each other as I have loved you. Man, is that if we learn that? We truly understand the heart of God. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is true. This is very, very true. When you're willing to sacrifice for others, when you're willing to lay down your life on the behalf of others, it's hard to to even compare that kind of love or dedication. How do you compare? You can't. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in slaves. No, no, no. Now, You are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. He said, I shared everything with you. You have all the knowledge I have. You have all the information I have. You are not slaves. You are my friends. You're my loved ones. You're the closest to me. You are everything. Remember who's writing this book. This is the same John of the Revelation. The same person. In verse 16... You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love. (laughs) Love each other. Let's stand. This is my command to love each other. It's impossible for me to love you well if I don't know how to receive love. It's impossible for me to love you well if I haven't first encountered that love. It's impossible for me to love you well. It's impossible for you to love your neighbor well if you first haven't experienced that love. And I'm telling you this morning, whatever category you find yourself in, whatever church you identified with the most out of the seven churches, love is the cure. Love is the cure. One of the hardest ones to read was the one that said, you fell out of love with your first love. You used to love me and you don't anymore. And he said, return, return, return to your first love, return to what you did at first. I was thinking about it this week. I can't believe it. We have a chat going on with some friends from high school because they're organizing our 20-year reunion. I was like, 
said, am I already that old? It's like, really? And I kid you not, they, all these people started joining the chat. I was like, who's that person? I was like, I don't even remember. I don't even remember their name. Like, who are you again? It was difficult. I'm like, 20 years. And then it dawned on me. I got saved my senior year. I had my first real encounter with God my senior year in high school. 20 years ago. I said, wow. And I started asking myself, do I still love him like I did then? Because I remember, I remember what that felt like. Do I still desire him the way I did then? And then I started replaying in my mind everything that I would do. <laughs> everything that I would plan out to spend time with God. Like I would replay in my mind, I'm going to get up at this time and I'm going to pray for this amount of hours. You remember Johnny? Johnny, I mean, I remember we were together almost 20 years ago. Now Johnny, we'd get up at four in the morning to go pray. I started thinking about it. Man, do I still love like that? And he said over and over and over, return to the things you did at first. Return to your first love. Return to what you did, the works that you used to do because they kept you. And I realized as you get older, you get more, quote unquote, responsible you have more responsibilities and more things to do and more priorities and more bills and more problems and all these things. And you realize, you realize that all that stuff comes in. It starts to squeeze out, it starts to squeeze out your time. It starts to squeeze out what's important. And then we learn to replace it, don't we? We learn to replace it. We learn, oh, wow, look at this new thing. And the wonderful invention of social media has occurred. And now we spend so much time that our phones are now telling us how much time we're spending on social media. You can go and look it up. Your phone will tell you how long you've had that app open and this app open. And you realize all that time and we really do complain that we don't have any time for God, really? Because I remember my first days, I made the time. I mean, nothing got in my way. I made the time. I put it, I mean, it was my priority. I had a 4 a.m. wake up call. I used to make the time. Now it's. I don't, I don't know where I'm going to find the time. You see, we have to learn to return. We have to return. And I pray, I realize one message is not going to create that much urgency to do it. But my prayer 
is that moving forward in these coming weeks, as we march on towards our fast, that we return. It's always a good thing to return to the Lord. It doesn't matter if you took one step in the wrong direction. It's always a good day when you return to the Lord. It doesn't matter if you felt like, oh, I'm good. Simply returning to what you did at first, man, it's time to return. In closing, I pray that our church has a zeal to our first love. Because there is no greater love. There is no greater endeavor. There is no greater pursuit. There is no greater calling. There is no greater goal or objective. There is nothing to be more zealous for on this planet than the love of God. Father, I thank you so much for your presence. Come on this morning, just lift your hands with me. Just begin to worship him. Just begin to talk to him. Father, I thank you so much for your word, for the truth and clarity that it brings. Lord, I pray for people that are hungry for more of you. I pray for people that are desiring to be in your presence more and more and more father we we confess we confess if there is anything in us that doesn't belong we give it over to you right now come on just tell them whatever you've got going on whatever has gotten in the way just tell them I confess, I give it over to you. It is no longer a part of who I am. It is not part of my life. I want to seek after you day and night, night and day. We want to return to our first love. We want to return to your presence. We want to return to loving you and loving each other the way you've called us to. We want to return to what we did at first. Lord, I pray that we desire and hunger for times of prayer and fasting and a wholehearted pursuit of your presence. That we recognize there is nothing in our plans that even compares to who you are in our life and the plans you have for us. Let's worship the Lord. joining us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.